Welcome everyone to Cloak and Dagger Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the guy that some people call Papa. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. What's the word for a lack of hope? The Cloak and Dagger Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, Rabbit Hold is brought to you by the debut LP by Michaela. It's dope. Pete, busy week across the podcasts, including uh, there's a, a modest independent movie coming out uh, at, uh, you know, at the end of this upcoming week that we will be podcasting in one week's time. That's right, the Sunday after uh, Endgame comes out, we'll be podcasting it. So make sure you get us all your cloak and dagger thoughts. Make sure you get us all your Endgame thoughts for what will be quite the week at the movies. Indeed. Uh, ready to see it any moment here now, Matt. As well as the season finale podcast of Star Trek Discovery. The, the epic, game-changing, universe-altering repercussions there. But Pete, let's take it a bit more local. Let's take it to New Orleans for your episode recap for this episode. In the safety of the abandoned church, Tandy asks Tyrone what happened to Mayhem when she went inside him. Except that's not how it felt. It's like she passed through him to somewhere else. He comes clean about when it took Connors that night on the roof months ago. Tandy admonishes him, but he can't bring Connors back to clear his name. Perhaps she can. An arrested member of the Uptown Block Kings makes his one and only phone call and lets his associates know it was Tyrone Johnson that blew up their action last night. After the title card, one of the girls O'Reilly rescued is processed for prostitution in order to motivate her to testify against her captors. Um, O'Reilly calls Ty, but he doesn't hear when Tandy is throwing light daggers at him. Ty is afraid if Connors comes out, he won't be able to protect his family. Tandy enters Ty. O'Reilly informs Ty the up town block kings saw his wanted poster as ty's mother looks over documents she hears someone enter and grabs a gun it's ty tandy follows a trail of blood to the old timey roxon gas station that resides inside tyrone and meets not really fun-sized ty papa legba papa saw the woman Tandy's looking for, well, half of her, but she's not going to be able to leave alone. The only way out is through the gauntlet of transactions. Ty needs to get his mother to safety from the Kings. Tandy places her light dagger in a telescope and gets a coin with one side that has her light dagger and the other with Tyrone's cloak. Papa disappears. Ty's mother uh, trips their security alarm and they run from the Kings. Tandy arrives at the Esplanade Mall inside of Ty. Ty's mom hot wires a car. Some things you never forget. 
Mayhem finds Tandy inside the mall. Mayhem wonders why Tandy doesn't pull out her light daggers, but she lies that they only come out when she's afraid. She tells her Papa Mystery said she can't leave alone. Mayhem only saw Fuchs. She needs Tandy to get out, but she's looked the place over six times and there doesn't seem to be a way out. O'Reilly enters the Johnson home, gun drawn, and sees what Ty's mom was working on. So does a uniformed cop who calls in a bolo. O'Reilly covers up Mrs. Johnson's work. Ty tells his mother about the Kings. They come to a police checkpoint. Get ready to go. Mayhem saw nothing in the mall's mirrors, but Tandy sees five different reflections of herself. Not Tandy opens the way. They take an escalator down. Ty and his mother park and run from a cop to a trolley. Another gang member sees them. Ty questions his mother about the papers she was reviewing at the house. She was trying to clear his name. They have to leave the trolley at the next stop to elude the gang member. Mayhem was a regular mall goer as a kid, but this is different. They find evidence of somebody living there for months. Tandy finds you-know-who's badge. Ty hides his mother in a place haunted by 300-year-old vampire nuns. Tandy and Mayhem find a record store with album covers of the missing girls, including the debut LP by Michaela. Ty brings his mother inside the Clemens Convent. He tells her the story of human trafficking from France when New Orleans was just starting out. Mayhem and Tandy talk about the more recent human trafficking, which is different. Ty explains the legend that the king of France picked a group of girls known as the casket women, each one traveling with their own casket-shaped box. Mayhem believes the girls were targeted because they wouldn't be missed. Ty explains the transatlantic voyage was rough on the women, robbing them of their beauty and forcing them to be hidden in the attic of the convent. Mayhem still doesn't know who's paying for the ambulances or their routes. Tandy finds her name on a divider. Ty's mother asks where he learned this story. His friend, Evita. Thankfully, not that little blonde one. She doesn't like that one because her ID badge went missing after her visit. Something wrong with that girl. Tandy sees several albums with her name on them that represent the crappy parts of her life, some still shrink-wrapped. Mayhem opens up a dark one. Ty explains Evita's family owns a voodoo shop and gives tours. His mother's never been on one, but wonders how many he's been on. A mother needs to worry about that. Just then, a gang member corners them and calls others that he has them. Mayhem plays the record of an acoustic version of Baby Hit Me One More Time. They see a crib where Tandy's parents 
lay her down, and have an argument. Enough of that noise. Tandy unwraps another record. Ty asks the gang member whose life he saved, Solomon, if he's really going to do this to him. But Solomon has a code. Ty's mom tries to talk him down. Ty takes the gun. Just then, more gang members arrive. Tandy plays a pink record and sees herself as a little girl listening to headphones as her parents argue in the background. She turns it off. Mayhem stops her from listening to another one. Solomon tells Ty and his mother the gang isn't going to let this go. She wants to distract them. Ty says he can make it right. Solomon slips him his phone. Just one more record, Mayhem. Solomon tells the other gang members that the cops are coming. Ty calls O'Reilly for help. She gets attention at the station house with the bullhorn siren. Tandy sees her mother about to bring her somewhere, but she's lost her keys. O'Reilly arrives at the Clemens convent and takes Ty's mother out. He puts his hood up and then takes it down. Tandy watches herself leave the house as her parents argue, and she smashes the record. A SWAT team has gathered outside the Clemens convent to go in and get Ty. O'Reilly told them he's unarmed, but her captain reminds her Fuchs was too. Ty's mother warns him. A bearded Connors emerges and is found by mayhem. She raises him with a makeshift noose, and he says he's sorry, but she doesn't care. Ty prepares to be caught by the cops. Tandy stops Mayhem by summoning her light daggers. She broke the rules, and Ty and Tandy wind up back in the church, which Connors escapes. Ty sees the badge Tandy found inside of him. Pete, let's talk some of the dark figures in this episode, and we have to start with those Uptown Block Kings. Yes, uh, that uh, the kid, the gang member in the station house, burns his one phone call, Matt, uh, to inform that Ty is wanted, that they're trying to uh, either get him in trouble with the cops and perhaps in custody take him out. You know, bad stuff happens in those cells. Or uh, have his buddies find him before the cops do and meet out their own form of justice. One of the real strengths of this series is highlighting in New Orleans, although I don't think, you know, I'm not singling out New Orleans. It's just obviously that's where the show is set. But it kind of is uh, really putting a spotlight on the structures behind the scenes that happen. You know, normally you get your phone call, you call a parent or you call a lawyer or whatever. Instead, there's this whole, you know, there's the whole network of the kings behind the scenes. We've had crooked cops. We have the evils of rocks on in the first season and things of that sort. And uh, it's not an area where other MCU shows have necessarily played in terms of a really well-established, rather real-world uh, structure of villainy. Yeah, and in these gray areas, I think it's increasingly interested, um, you know, the, the, the matters of race, 
um, the involvement here with the police, the idea that we explored in the first season, whether African-Americans get a fair shake at the hands of the law, and then you bring in the drug subplot we have from the beginning of the season, and then the human trafficking. It gets really murky. Let's move things on to Solomon, who also is definitely a villainous force in the episode. Yeah, somebody that Ty has established this relationship with, though he's protected him once. Uh, Solomon obviously feels conflicted. He's a younger gang member. Matt, I, I sense I sense possible good in him. Maybe even an opportunity for Tyrone to be a big brother to Solomon, the likes of which Tyrone once had in his own big brother. Uh, let's hope that the story continues down that path because I think there's definitely some redemptive potential for both of them. Do we see any redemptive possibility, Matt, in the now bearded Connors, or will he get a job as the stunt double for Rain Wilson's Harry Mud? <laughs> I think we are we are meant to have sympathy for him in this episode. Now, does that mean I have sympathy overall? I mean, he did shoot a kid, and there was all the framing and dirty copping, etc. Uh, I'm okay kind of having that cognitive dissonance where he is both maybe not irredeemable, but, you know, certainly deserves the, the, the worst punishment possible. But I can also feel sympathetic for being trapped in this weird netherworld by himself and I suppose driven to some level of madness where he's hanging up these, these uh, you know, rain slickers in order to ward off Ty, to, to create some sort of protective barrier, whatever it is, it speaks to a certain level of madness. So I can feel bad for his madness, but be unforgivable for his, uh, for his sins. It's not my place to forgive, Pete. I guess that's what we still don't know 14 episodes into this show's run. Is there redemptive possibility within somebody like Connors who killed Ty's brother, who has had this reign of terror, who's now been sucked into the dark region that resides within Ty's cloak? Can he come back? On that question, Pete, let's head to some light theories. Here's one for me. Will we see a rejoining of Mayhem and O'Reilly? I know it's something we touched on in the last podcast. A bit more discussion in this episode regarding that kind of duality and the need for some darkness and some light and all of that. Is there going to be a grand rejoining? I don't see rejoining so much as I see mayhem like dissipating going away that they kind of hit you over the head and granted you know what goes on with inside Ty's cloak is couched in very heavy metaphor uh that that she's half that she's the bad half um you know maybe O'Reilly who in the past has, again, operated in that gray area of police, nowhere near as much as a Connors. Um, but, uh, you know, she can she can kind of move in and out of those areas, perhaps 
O'Reilly moves closer to the light and mayhem just goes away. Similarly, we see Tyrone's mom kind of going further down a dark path here. Pete, she knows how to boost a car. What is mom's fate by the end of this season in terms of, you know, does she get some sort of redemption? Does she get back to a point where she is a prominent member of the community or has grief and loss overtaken her? So where is she getting these papers and, and where is she getting this information? There was the man who nodded to her at the uh, at the parish meeting in the previous episode. And then what do you know? She didn't vote to uh, look into this, uh, you know, violent offense that occurred towards a woman. I, I think it's all related, Matt. It's all connected to this human trafficking. Who, who's behind it? Uh, mayhem wonders the ambulances their routes i think we know where this is pointed well you mention some of the human trafficking stuff and props to the show for that rather downbeat acoustic version of baby one more time i remember when that song was fresh and it was new and uh you know, I was a I was young whippersnapper looking to you know looking to, to to be a contrary teen and whatnot, and kind of realizing, hey, look at the lyrics here. The singer seems to be suggesting, you know, show your love to me by hitting me, and I think that it's a really raw version used here, and one that syncs perfectly with an episode about power difference. We see a little bit of uh tandy's childhood and the the abuse that her mother suffered uh we don't exactly see the abuse but we see you know we, we get enough of it to know what's going on and just a really immersive use of the song yeah and as a way for uh tandy to kind of come to grips some of the issues she's known some of the records have been played some still kind of need to be looked into. It's it's an effective metaphor for psychoanalysis and that that situation created who Tandy is, that we see her leave the home when her parents are uh, arguing, not suggesting that she was a runaway. She wasn't, but she came and went as she pleased. And perhaps under different circumstances, Matt, because the, the girls who have been targeted in this traffic ring are victims of abuse or people that Mayhem points out would not have been missed. That's why there's such an uptick in them that uh, Tandy might have wound up in that human trafficking ring. What theories are you cooking up over there? The whole thing with Tyrone's cloak and Papa Legba, you know, fun size Tyrone there. And Mayhem placing her dagger in, she gets the coin, her receipt, with the dagger on the one side and the cloak on the other. And then she breaks the rules at the end. What kind of repercussions are we looking at there? Well, I would have thought that the implicit contract was follow the rules and you get out again. Now, of course, we see at the episode that... Uh, Tandy and Connors alike are ejected from the dark space. So perhaps that is the consequence. I don't see how being ejected from some sort of, you know, empty phantom zone is a punishment. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what, what uh, consequences are ahead. 
does it mean that Ty can no longer bring somebody into his cloak that he won't have the opportunity to potentially save somebody as he did with Solomon or um, to swallow them up as he did with Connors. Maybe, but that would then make kind of a weird cyclical nature to it. You know, it's not, it's not Tyrone who broke the rules, but now he has to suffer the consequences Okay, maybe. Is that because of the divine pairing and the two sides of the coin and the two of them are connected? I could see that, but that's not what I would advocate for in the writer's room. With that, Pete, let's turn our attention to some listener feedback. First one up here, an email from William Cornegay, who says as follow. Sans Arrow and Gotham, I'm used to superhero and genre shows dropping off in quality in season two. I imagine the showrunners expend a lot of effort creating a fantastic story to get the show greenlit. After the season concludes and the show is renewed, the showrunners panic and say, what do we do now? If you're a mystery box show like Lost, you pile on mystery boxes, hoping to answer all the questions in a series finale. If you're a Berlanti show, you redo the prior season with a slightly different cast. Pete, that sounds like a little bit of a burn there. Um, Cloak and Dagger is different. I think the executive producer has a five-year plan outlined. I realize jobs are difficult to come by, but I hope the show lasts no longer than five years. Quality over quantity. If Cloak and Dagger hadn't debuted during the summer with less viewing competition, I may have stopped watching after a few episodes. I often felt like I was watching Cloak or Dagger, not Cloak and Dagger. Tanting and Tyrone are interesting individuals, but Cloak and Dagger only work as a pairing. Unlike the DC CW-verse, the subsequent season of Cloak and Dagger has not been a soft reboot. This season is intricately tied to the last one. I now appreciate the world building done in season one and the character development. Gotham has to stick the landing, but I expect the series finale to be a payoff for watching five years of world building and character development. I think Cloak and Dagger is on the same path. From Will. So, Pete, I think the big takeaway from Will's words there are the notion that, unlike some of these other shows, there's a more direct path from season one into season two, and we're not seeing that sense of, oh, no, I didn't plan for a second season. I don't know what to do. Yeah, and actually, some of that is going to be echoed by at least one of our other respondents, Matt, via communication here. To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page we go, Matt, where uh, Steve Adams writes in, Just finished your review of Cloak and Dagger 201 and 202. Like you, I was very high on this episode. I like the way that Ty and Tandy's experiences with gangs, drugs, and domestic violence have shaped their behavior going forward. I like how we see them trying to do good but the results never seem to line up with their intentions. I agree with the listener who said that he liked how Ty was the straight and narrow one and Tandy was rougher around the edges. It is a fresh breath of air. I hope that Ty's parents have not split, although it would be a realistic result of the trauma they have suffered. I enjoyed the fact that we had a minority couple who was still married and in love. The African-American community in particular has been devastated by broken homes and broken relationships. 
to have a couple that has remained together and committed to each other and their children is great to see. I hope that the first episode was a bit of misdirection in regards to their relationship and that they are still together, even if struggling with the circumstances they have been dealt. I love the reveal of Mayhem being two distinct persons. I absolutely was not expecting that. It's nice to be genuinely surprised by a development in a TV show these days. Well done. All in all, I have very few complaints with the premiere and am really looking forward to the rest of season two. High praise indeed. Looks like the hopes of uh, Tyrone's parents staying together not uh, not met at least thus far. Although hopefully, Pete, they're, it's the troubled period for the first half of the season and everything can end up okay at the end. I'm going to fall back on the hope of that misdirection, as uh, Steve noted. Robert T. Frost also writes in, Matt, good morning, Matt and Pete. A few thoughts and observations on Cloak and Dagger Season 2, Episode 3, Shadow Selves. Best line for the episode, who's up for awkward reunion pancakes? I like the nonlinear storytelling this episode. It was a very smooth way to insert a lot of backstory. Father Delgado, fallen, definitely hurting and searching for his faith. Very interesting relationship development between Mayhem and FFD, fallen Father Delgado. I wonder if she will be the impetus to a redemptive arc. We had a couple of things in common with Netflix Daredevil this episode. I really like the reference to Ben Urich with the playing cards to track slash link suspects. It's not all disconnected. Secondly, our show is really asking the hard questions about if the ends justify the means, much like the conversation we got between Daredevil and the Punisher had up on that rooftop way back when but with the added wrinkle that Tyrone, a person whose skin's color often labels him with suspicion and fear, right or wrong, justified or not, is the moral compass of the show. Our ideas and values have meaning and weight, and ignoring or degrading them place us, society, on a very slippery slope that's, that gives us way to some very questionable moral justifications. Worrisome is that Tandy seems to be willing, uh, willing slide. I guess he means willing to slide those means down that slope in her haste to do good. A temptation anyone with any kind of power is faced with every day. She gave me a hero worship vibe. Apologies for the soapbox. It's hard to have to wait until the next episode, this show has become my newest favorite Marvel show. Definitely not just a kid's show. Your friend, Bob. Pete, some great insight there from our pal Robert T. Frost, particularly on the uh, the unfortunately unusual position that the show is in by having uh, a young black man as a moral compass, uh, something that we don't see often enough on television and uh, I suppose the same goes for Tandy as well as somebody from a background of lesser means. This is certainly a, you know, 
far flung from you know la law where everyone is you know super kind of upscale and super educated and things of that sort so showing a little different slice of life bob had actually gotten his feedback in just after we had recorded the episode 203 podcast uh so i had replied to him that he had just missed us uh, he said, now that's some early morning dedication. I blame Facebook. I tried to post all I got was the little spinning circle of death. He continues, he just learned something from Cloak and Dagger comic that Father Delgado may have foreshadowed for us. Easter egged for us, if you will. Apropos, given this time of year. When FFD was drunkenly preaching, he was ranting about despair in life. What if this is a foreshadowing for despair, a villain that Tandy and Tyrone have tangled with in the comics run? Thoughts? Pete, I could just see it now. It's the end of season two, and they say despair is falling. <laughs> and then out in the in the post credit sequence out of the not not swamp muck but out of the demolished building there's a rattling of concrete pieces a hand comes out and it says boom next spring despair is falling cloak and dagger season three coming to freeform also on hulu anything's possible well pete keeping the universe of possibilities open for fantastic geek is everybody who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek got some exclusive goodies there but always those who support us have the knowledge of keeping all our podcasts afloat out there for everyone assembled with pods in their ears and speakers in their cars Everybody who contributes gets access to that exclusive content. As you mentioned, fresh up Matt is our Avengers Endgame non-spoiler preview. 48 minutes of it. All it takes is a dollar to get you in the door for that. Pete, of course, the best treat is always being able to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,000. 425 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter on instagram on gmail where we are fantastic geek as well it could be just like william sending in those thoughtful emails but wait p there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today well, Pete, as mentioned before on the Pop Culture Podcast, in, uh, in the next week we have some Star Trek Discovery Season 2 to look back on. We have some Cloak and Dagger to talk about. Oh, yeah, and the biggest movie of 2019, <laughs> Avengers Endgame. We're going to be talking about on Sunday, so feel free to share your thoughts whether you're going to Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, even if you're getting that Sunday morning uh, uh, viewing in. Uh, make sure you share your thoughts with us and... I mean, heck, Pete, we might even turn that into two episodes, depending on the amount of feedback that comes back. We shall see. But certainly a great time to be exploring all this geeky goodness. So I'm going to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Enough of that noise. Hit me, baby, one more time. I must confess.
Give me a sign.